Good morning, everyone. Y'all looking good today. Did y'all have a good weekend? I know graduations are going on, and it's that time of year again. Everybody's winding down, getting ready for summer vacation. I know we are as well, and man, it's a treat uh, to be here in the house of God this morning. And if you're just joining in with us online for the first time, if you're in a building with us, welcome uh, to New Life Church of Mobile. Uh, today, we're in week three of our sermon series called The Real Jesus. Y'all say The Real Jesus. And last week, we talked about uh, Jesus. He had a secret, and the secret was the Holy Spirit. That was his secret. They gave him the power. He performed all his miracles. He did all of his ministry uh, through the Holy Spirit. There was nothing that Jesus did that he didn't involve the Holy Spirit. And I'm so thankful that God modeled that, and Jesus modeled that, that the Holy Spirit. But this week, we're going to move a little bit deeper. And, man, I'm so excited about this message today because I feel like this is something that everybody in the world needs to hear because this is something that deals with each and every person that's ever walked God's green earth. You know what the subject title is today? How to treat people. How to treat people. And, boy, do we need to learn how to treat people. How to treat people. And, you know, last week we were talking about Batman, the television series. Uh, Y'all remember that? We talked about uh, how Batman would get in these jams and he would come out with his utility belt and he would bust out the secret weapon to get free. And we, so I'm going to keep the theme going with television shows. Do y'all remember Family Matters? The, The old show Family Matters with Steve Urkel. And you know, Steve Urkel, he would be the, he's the lovable neighbor and everybody loved Steve until Steve did something goofy until he destroyed something. And then everybody would go off on Steve, and then you would be like, man, that's right, Steve, you, you deserve that. You, you messed up the whole thing. And then he would give that little sad face, and he'd give a little sad speech, and then you would feel sorry for Steve. It's like, oh, man, why were they so hard on Steve? He didn't mean it. And then we would feel sorry for him, and you, the, the audience would go, oh. And then he'd walk off sad, and then they'd end up apologizing to him, and everything's back to normal. But isn't that a great picture of how we do things? It's like sometimes we love people until they get on our wrong side. Boy, they get on your wrong side, then you're ready. Oh, I'm going to give you a piece of my mind. And we struggle with how to treat people. And just thinking about that, what we do with people, we hold grudges. We hold grudges. Someone does one thing to you, and boy, we hold that grudge. We never let it go. We, we're on the good terms, and then something happens, because you remember back in, in 82, you did this to me, and boy, I hadn't forgot since. And boy, we hold on to those grudges, or we hold on to bitterness and offense. And this is nothing new, because this happened since the beginning of time. If we look out throughout Scripture, there's plenty examples of people of how they were treated miserably. If we think about Cain and Abel, what happens there? We kill one another. We get mad, we want to kill one another. Jacob and Esau, we lie and steal from one another. Joseph and his brothers, they were envious of Joseph. They were so jealous of him and envious of him, they said, well, let's, let's, let's kill him. It's like, no, no, let's not do that. Let's just sell him to slavery. Like, that was even better. But what is that? We don't know how to treat people. Relationships, we really suffer because we're broken and we don't know how to treat people. Did you know that there's a uh, statistic right now that 50% of marriages end in divorce. 50%. In America, 50% of marriages end in divorce. And with such a high divorce rate, why in the world do we think that we won't have relationship issues? 
if the if the divorce rate is so high, why do we feel like, you know, some people are just like I'm a relationship expert. They have that these all these guru shows now where fix my life and all these things where people come on TV and they're like, oh, I can fix your relationship. And they have all these shows that people feel like they're a relationship expert, but they have so many relationship experts because people need help with relationships. We need help. Amen. And some people, we really struggle with relationships. We don't know how to move from relationship to relationship. And this is not even a romantic relationship. Sometimes we could just have close friendships that we have a big blowout and we don't know how to move on past that. I remember this one time, this girl, she had gotten into it with one of her really close friends and she just had a meltdown to the point where you felt like, well, did someone abuse you? Like she was just breaking down, crying so bad. And she's like, oh my gosh, she just doesn't want to talk to me anymore. And I'm like, wait a minute, calm down, calm down. Now what happened? And it was over something small, but in her world, it was so big, and she couldn't move past the hurt of that relationship. Sometimes we don't know how to move on from relationships, or we don't know how to make new relationships. We could get so caught up and, stu and stuck in our bubble that we don't even know how to go out just to meet new friendships and make new relationships. Man, that's such a joy in making new relationships. One thing I, I admire about my little seven-year-old Camden is everywhere Camden goes, she makes new friends. Yesterday in the neighborhood, she made three new friends in our neighborhood and invited all three of the girls to, uh, to kid camp in June. And she played for hours with two of the girls yesterday, but she had a great time because everywhere we go, Camden says, ooh, I hope I can meet a friend today. One of the things she loved is making new relationships. And, you know, sometimes you can learn a little bit from your kids as well. Making new relationships. What about you online? Do you like making new relationships? Or are you just like, oh, no, it's just me and three and no more, or however the saying goes. But, but it's like, what is it, me, me, my four, and no more, or something like that? I think that's how it goes. But that saying, but sometimes we have a hard time making new relationships. Or sometimes we abuse relationships. What does that mean? That means we take advantage of the people in our lives. Or we take for granted the people in our lives and we mistreat them. Oh, oh I, know, I know Susie will always be there so I can treat her any way I want to. I know John will always be there so I can just talk to him any way that I want to. And he'll come begging back. And we mistreat people and we take advantage of them. And our relationships suffer. But what I love about God is God is a relational God. He wants to be in relationship with each and every person in this room. Did you know that? that God wants to be in relationship with you. This is, a, this is a very humbling thought to think about it in this way. God doesn't need us, but he wants to be with us. He doesn't need us, but he so desperately wants to be with each and every one of us. When we think about the God of the universe, the creator, he wants to be in relationship with you. And I can't think of a greater honor and privilege than it is that the creator of the heavens and earth, that he says, you insert your name, I want to be in relationship with you. That is a great feeling to know that. I know sometimes we may feel like, man, I don't know who to call on. I don't know who I can really depend on and who I can trust. But there's one person that will never leave you nor forsake you, and that's God the Father. And he wants to be in relationship with you. Amen. God wants us to be close to him. 
He wants to be intimate with us. He wants to know your, your, your heart's desires. He wants to know all of your dreams, your, your ambitions. God wants to know all those things. He wants to be close to you. He wants you to be in his family, so much so that he sent his only son so that we can have a way to be with him forever. That's how much God wants to be with us, that he said, I'm going to send my one and only son to be slain so that I could be with humanity forever. That's the plan of God, that we would sit with him, that we would have relationships with him forever. God wants to be in relationship with you, not just for right now, not just on earth, but forever. I think that's a good thing to celebrate about right there, that God wants to be in relationship with you forever. And Jesus, he modeled this more than anything. Jesus modeled how to treat people in a broken and fallen world. We're going to talk about this, and then we're going to pray and get into it. And if you're watching online in the room, all the notes are on the app. You can go back, and you can take notes, or you can look at the notes, and this message will be on our podcast, on our app, and on Spotify as well. So you can go back and take a look at those things. But Jesus modeled how to treat people in a broken and fallen world. And what a great time it is to lean in to see how Jesus treated people because we live in a broken and fallen world. Hey, I don't know if you realize this, but it can become very difficult to love people in today's society. <laughs> Boy, you get on social media and you realize real quick, we don't know how to treat people. <laughs> we have one difference of opinion. I don't like the Lakers. Well, I do. And that, that starts, it's like, we talking about basketball. The playoffs just started, but people get online and start arguing about basketball. They're like, all the things going on in the world, y'all want to argue about who's the greatest player of all time. We know it's Michael Jordan. Some people say it's LeBron James. But the point is, is that we'll find things to mistreat each other over anything. It's like, we'll find a way. I'm just, I'm going to put I like the color red, and I just can't wait to say somebody say I like the color blue. And it's like, boy, we can find some things to get upset about. But Jesus, he modeled how to treat people in a fallen world. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we thank you for, for who you are in our lives. We thank you that you're in this room with us that you're tugging on our hearts even now, that you open up our hearts to receive something fresh and new from you. Holy Spirit, thank you for who you are and being in this, in this room with us today. In Jesus' name, amen. So Jesus, he knew how to treat people in a broken, fallen world. And you know that God gave Moses the Ten Commandments. Half of the Ten Commandments have to deal with how to treat and how to be in relationship with God. The other five are how to be in relationship with other people. Jesus and God, God was very intentional with that. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. At the time of Jesus' death, there were as many people that loved him that hated him. How in the world would a man that was freely given his life for humanity have so many people that had contrasting views of who he was? They loved him, then they hated him. Isn't that a great picture of society? They love to build you up to tear you down. They love to, to promote you and, oh, you're the greatest thing until you do one thing that they don't like, and then everybody turns their back on you. You know that there's going to be people that don't like you. And for the life of it, you're going to try to figure out, what in the world did I do to make them not want to be, to not want to like me? And then you can rack your brain trying to go over different conversations, different, now, I remember we talked about that, but Surely it couldn't have been that because I didn't, and boy, you could just rack your brain trying to figure out why don't people like me? And if people hated Jesus, 
and you're a follower of Jesus, don't you think that people are not going to like you either? Especially when you make a stand for righteousness and holiness. They're really not going to like you then. It's like, oh, no, you have to get with the times. It's 2021. It's like, okay, it is 2021, but Jesus never changes. His word never changes. And when you stand for righteousness, you stand for Jesus, guess what? People are not going to like you. But in the midst of all this in a broken, fallen world, Jesus loved people even when they mistreated him. Even when they talked bad about him, Jesus found a way to love them. Online, if you watch it online, Jesus found a way to treat people with love and honor and respect even when they wanted to kill him. Now, I don't know if people are out there trying to kill you, but some people do get on your nerves. And we do have to learn how to get along with people in the midst of this broken world that we live in. And so today I want to give you three revolutionary principles for how to treat people. I'm going to give you three principles on how to treat people if you're taking notes. And I want you to write this first one down. Three principles on how to treat people. The first one is this. Love your neighbor. Love your neighbor. There is so much hurt and pain in our world that it's easy to become calloused. It's very easy to become calloused to what's going on in the world and only focus in about what's going on in your world and your life. It's easy. It's easy to become calloused. It's not easy to love people. It's, sometimes people make it very difficult to love them. It's like you try to give them every open door, every opportunity, but then it seems like they keep pushing you away. And you're like, what in the world is going on? You're not making this easy. But that's the point, is that it could become so, to the point where we try so hard that we could become callous. And you say, why should I even try? In the, why, why should I even try? Why should I even waste my time? Because I've been down this road before, and it only leads to rejection. But Jesus, he was a softy. His whole ministry was about others. There are so many things we can highlight about Jesus. And one of the things that's ironic to me is that people always look back at Judas and say how bad of a person Judas was, like Jesus didn't know who Judas was. But yet he still put him over the money. He, put, he knew what Judas was going to do to him, but he still said, you know what? There's always an opportunity for Judas to get it right. So guess what? I'm going to love on him anyway. But these are some things that I noticed about Jesus and how we can glean from and how we can love our neighbor. First thing that I noticed about Jesus is this, is that he had eyes of compassion. Jesus had eyes of compassion. He had the ability to see pain and that he had the compassion to see the need. Not only did he have the compassion to see pain, he saw the compassion to say, you know what, I'm going to meet the need. Seven times in the Gospels, it says that Jesus' eyes were moved to compassion. He saw the need, he saw the hurt, and his eyes said, you know what, I can't overlook this. I have to, to, to move. I move with compassion because I see and I feel. And if you think about it, when he saw the woman at the well, his eyes saw that and he was moved with compassion. When he saw that, when they brought the woman out that was caught in the act of adultery, he didn't stone her. He said, no, I have mercy on her because he was moved with compassion. Jesus saw those things. He saw the pain and he said, you know what? I'm going to move with compassion. Not only did he have eyes of compassion, but he had a heart of compassion. This is the emotion that you feel for people that are in need. You know, sometimes we can hear a need and we can be so callous that we're like, oh, okay, I'm sorry they're going through that. And then we're on to the next thing. But Jesus, he felt the need. You know, sometimes it just takes you to get out of your comfort zone to realize that there's need all around you. 
or just to have a heart of compassion for people. And a few years ago, I was privileged to go on a mission trip to Cuba. And we would go throughout the whole uh, city that we're in, in Havana, and, and it was a beautiful city, and, but their government is under great control there. Y'all know that. And we were able to go into one of the homes for a small group. And we walked, man, we walked about three miles to this home. But one guy that was the leading us to the, to the home, he made that walk with his two small children and his family with a backpack full of materials every Monday. He would make that three-mile walk. And I remember walking. I'm like, how, how long is it going to take us to get here? Like, it's, man, this is taking forever. But he was so excited because he had a heart of compassion for the people that he was going to, to meet with. So we get in the room, and we're sitting in the living room, and it's a mixture of older, uh, older people and young people, and, and it was great. And I, I had the chance to lead the group that night, and I just remember I asked one question. This was for everyone in the room. I said, I want you to just share some of the dreams that you have for God, just to kind of a nice breaker, just to kind of hear dreams. And every single person that was an adult, they deferred all their dreams to younger people. Because they felt like, because of the country that we live in, because of my age, that dreams are for young people. It's past my time. And my heart began to well up with compassion for the people in that room because I was like, no, it doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter what season of life you're in. That God has a purpose in your heart. He, God has placed purpose in each and every one of our hearts. But I remember in that moment just having such a compassion, and it changed the whole trajectory of the, the, what we were talking about. And I started talking about, no, you need to have dreams. And I was like, I want to encourage you in that. Because it broke my heart to compassion that some people just feel like, man, I don't have any dreams. That breaks my heart. But Jesus saw that. And whenever he saw that, Jesus said, you know what? I have a heart of compassion to be moved with emotion. He also had a touch of compassion, a touch of compassion. You know, we just want to sometimes just, oh, what can I give to meet the need, which is great. But sometimes it just requires a little bit more like a touch. When I think about when Jesus healed the leper, think about that leper's life. Of course, in that, in that, in that time frame, no one wanted to be around him. He had to isolate himself from everyone else. So I'm not sure how long it was that he did not have human contact or human interaction. But when he encountered Jesus, Jesus said, come here and let me touch you. And I'm pretty sure when he felt the touch of Jesus and he felt the touch of Jesus, uh, the power of Jesus, and he was, was healed, how joyful that man was in his heart. But that just goes to show that sometimes compassion is a touch. Sometimes compassion is, let me put my arm around you and give you an embrace. I love Elder T. Every time I walk up to him, I know I'm going to get a warm embrace. That's one thing I, I love that. And it's like, you're going to get a warm embrace. But sometimes people need that. They may say, they reject, oh, don't touch me. I'm not a touch. No, you need a warm embrace. You need a touch from the Father. But Jesus realized that, that it, Jesus said, compassion is a touch. And the last thing that Jesus showed is that he walked. Compassion is a walk. He had the walk of compassion. You know, Jesus told the story about the Good Samaritan when the first two people just walked past him because they were so busy. But the Samaritan man, he said, you know what? Let me put you on my donkey and take you to an inn. And not only that, but I'll come back and take care of you and take care of the bill and everything. So he walked with the man. He walked with the injured. And Jesus showed a great depiction of that, that sometimes compassion is a journey. 
Sometimes you have to walk with people until they've received their healing. But sometimes we're so quick to dismiss people and to push them off that we don't want to walk with anybody. Oh, that's, this is a hard case. I just, I don't have the time to deal with this today. Uh, just call somebody else because I just, no. But sometimes we just have to walk with people. And this requires a little bit of patience. But Jesus knew that compassion was a walk. Amen? So the first principle on how we treat people is that we love our neighbor. Those are just a few examples of so many more that we could take from a how to love our neighbor. The second thing that we could do is serve your brothers and sisters. Say, serve your brothers and sisters. Serve your brothers and sisters. You know, every great kingdom and every great ruler in the time of the Bible, they always made people serve them. The people lived to serve the Pharaoh or the king of the time. That's all they were. They literally existed to serve the king and pharaoh of the time. When I think about the pyramids, you know, the pyramids were built to hold the tombs of all the pharaohs. So people literally their whole life existence was to do nothing but wake up every day and build the pyramids so that can house the, the bodies of the pharaohs when they passed away. Could you imagine your whole life existence is to build a temple or to build a grave for, for a king? That's all you live for is to build some temples, to build some monuments of, of, of dead kings. But when Jesus came on the scene, he totally flipped the script. He says, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve. And when we begin to look out and say that my life is here to serve, and we begin to serve our brothers and sisters, man, our life takes on a different trajectory. And when Jesus came on the scene, everybody hated him because everybody wanted to be served. They didn't want to serve others. The, 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 the Pharisees, they wanted to be praised and, and known for, oh, they're great scholars and they're so smart and all this. They wanted to be praised. And even we were reading the other day in the Word that it says that the, the Pharisees, they, they appreciated praise from man more than they did from God, meaning that they just wanted the praise for themselves. They wanted the glory. They wanted to be served. But Jesus said, no, I've come to serve others. Jesus, he came to serve. And serving, what I noticed about serving, I'll give you three things about serving. Serving, it has a shift. Serving, it has a shift. Serving may look different depending on the season of life that you're in. But what I notice about serving, it is a shift. Because the moment you start serving somebody, there's a shift that happens. It's a shift that happens first in your heart because it's a humbling experience to serve someone else to give of your time to serve someone else, it's a shift in your heart. And then what happens is it, give, it begins to shift their heart as well. Because the, they begin to look on it and they may take advantage of you or take it for granted at first, but at some point it'll click that they say, man, this person is really serving me. And then their heart will be open to receive whatever it is that you have to speak into your life. Sometimes we have relational issues is because there's no serving going on. But once you begin to serve one another, then guess what? The doors begin to open and there's access to, you know what? I've been having a tough day. And you're like, whoa, whoa, they opening up. What happened? You begin to serve them. But when there's their service, there's no access. But serving, it has a shift. You know, when you're single, there's a difference between serving yourself and then when you get married. It changes. Talk about that divorce rate. There's no serving going on. It's like, I want you to serve me. <laughs> Where's my food? Clean my clothes and all these. And it's like there, there's a shift that happens. But then there's another shift that happens when you have kids. That brings another dynamic of service. Like, oh, now I got to take care of these kids. 
and I got to wash these clothes. I have to help with homework, and I have to do all these things. And then serving, it takes another shift. So serving, it may look different depending upon the season of life you're in, but it's always a shift. Serving has a status. Did you know that? Serving has a status. It takes great security to say that I want to be a servant. It takes a person with great security to say, you know what? I'm going to serve. Jesus was so confident and so secure in who he was that he said, you know what? I'm going to wash the feet of my disciples. When it was looked down upon and frowned upon, Jesus said, I don't care. I'm secure in who I am. I'm a servant. But we live in a society that says you don't serve. You want to be served. When you walk into the hotel room, you want the bellhop to take your bags. Fifth floor, please. <laughs> and we want, when we come, we want the waiter to bring our rolls or our bread to the table immediately. Why are they taking so long with the rolls? Where's my refill? Why are they taking so long? Why? We want to be served. We want to be served. And there's nothing wrong with wanting to be served, but at the same token, we have to make sure that our hearts just as much want to serve others as well. That, that we're secure in who we are to serve. Some people don't serve because they're insecure in who they are. Because they begin to say, oh, people, what are they going to think about me if I start serving? Then the status that I've portrayed is going to go down and diminish, and people won't think it's highly. No, that's, it's quite the opposite. It's quite the opposite. Heaven rejoices when we serve. You know what we're going to do when we get to heaven? Serve. <laughs> we're going to serve. We're going to be worshiping at the throne room of God. Worshiping God, serving him through our worship. We're going to serve. We're servants. Serving has a status. And the last thing I noticed about serving is this. Serving has a spot. Serving has a spot. God has given each and every one of us a place to serve. I love Brother Joe Wooten's example that he gave. We just watched that video about the handoff. Where simply just by giving someone a bag and inviting them to church is a great way to share the gospel and the love of Jesus with someone else. He found his spot. He found his area to serve. There's so many places and so many areas where we can serve. We just have to be willing to, and open to God to say, God, use me. And you feel like, well, I haven't found my spot to serve. Then make one. Then make one. And it's like serving is for everyone. It's just not for a few select people. You know, some people feel like, whoa, I don't have the gift of service. That's just, that's just for someone else. That's not my personality. Serving is not a personality. It's a heart. It's an attitude. It's a heart issue that says, you know what, I'm willing to serve. So we all have to find our spot in serving. You have to find your spot in serving in your family. What is my spot in serving in my family? Sometimes we don't even think of it in those terms. We think of service as something we do for other people, but not our family. But even in my family, what's my spot in serving in my family? Amen? So first thing, we love our, our, our neighbors. We serve our brothers and our sisters. And this is the third and final things. And, this, and this, man, this is a big one. We forgive your enemies. Forgive your enemies. Boy, boy, boy. Unforgiveness. If there's anything that's plaguing our society now, it's unforgiveness and bitterness. All across social media, it, it's like social media is the greatest and the worst thing at the same time. It's a great way to connect and interact, but it's also horrible because there's nothing but unforgiveness and bitterness being spewed upon every social media platform. But we all have experienced painful things. I'm pretty sure that we can go around the room and we can cry together 
for some of the experiences that each and every person has walked through. The abuse that some of you have have withheld or, or have taken on, the, the words that were spoken over you, the things that were done to you. And sometimes it can leave us to a place where we question God. Maybe you're walking online and you walk through a difficult time in your life. And you say, God, why did all this happen to me? Why did you allow all this to happen to me? And the more I think about things like that, I'm like, yeah, why, why do things like that happen? The only thing that I could come up with is, is, is because of sin. It's a sin issue. And sin is the only logical explanation that why all these bad things happen is sin. It's not, made, it's not justifying it. It's not causing, it's not any of those things. It's just the fact that when sin entered the world, bad things were bound to happen to us because of sin. But when things happen to us that we feel, or man, this wasn't fair. I didn't deserve that. Boy, we're faced with a, with a tough decision. And anyone that says forgiveness is easy, you're lying. Because when people do something that you trust, or some people you don't even know, but they hurt you, and they say words that aren't true, and they mistreat you, and they abuse you, and you have to get to the place where you have to forgive them, man, it just does something to your heart. To me, one of the worst examples that I've heard of forgiveness is this. You forgive and you forget. Well, you try to forget it then. I want you to try to forget something terrible that happened to you. It's hard. But we don't forget those things. That's why I don't, when we talk about forgiveness, I never mention the word, just forget it, that it happened. No, we don't brush it under a rug. Those things did happen. But forgiveness is something that's continual, that we constantly have to make a conscious decision that says, you know what? Whenever I feel this thing rising up in my heart, I'm going to forgive again. I'm going to make a decision that in this moment I feel all this coming up. Guess what? I'm going to forgive again. Because unforgiveness is like poison to your soul. I'm telling you, you want to be have turmoil in your soul? Hold on to unforgiveness. Because it will destroy each and every relationship you have holding on to unforgiveness. Because you will find yourself, why don't all my relationships? Unforgiveness. You can always trace it back to some root of unforgiveness. And it's poison to your soul and to your relationships. And when we don't forgive one another... We feel we're the ones that suffer. The other person doesn't. We feel, I'll never forgive them. I'm taking this to the grave. And we're holding on to things that people aren't even thinking about us anymore. It's like we're the ones that suffer, and they're going on with their life all happy and joyful. And they're like, why can they smile? Because they're over it. you holding on to it. You chose not to forgive them. And then with that, what does that do? It makes you even more mad. You get mad. Oh, you get even madder. Oh, I can't. They posting pictures on their vacation. I'm mad. What is that? Y'all laughing because y'all know it's true. It's true. It's unforgiveness. Unforgiveness. Man, (laughs) unforgiveness, we have to forgive our enemies. It's not that we forget what happened, but we make a continual decision to forgive each and every day when that thing comes up. You know, there's a difference between healing and vengeance. Vengeance is for the Lord. Some people say they want healing, but what they really want is vengeance. Vengeance never brings healing. It only brings more bitterness. Vengeance only brings more bitterness, and it never satisfies. Because vengeance says, I want you to feel what I felt. You need to pay like I paid. I want to destroy you. Everything that you built, I'm going to tear it down because I want vengeance. But that's not healing. 
And even if you get what you say that you want from the other person, guess what? It's still not going to satisfy because you didn't receive healing. If you're watching online, don't seek vengeance. Seek healing. Healing says, you know what? I'm not excusing what happened to me. But what I am going to do is I'm going to choose in my heart to forgive. And I'm going to trust the Lord that he's going to bring the healing to my heart that I so desperately need. Because vengeance is for the Lord. It's not for us. So when we begin to take vengeance in our own hands, guess what? We have to realize that we can actually destroy the thing. We can actually bring blessing to the thing that we're trying to destroy. Because what it does is it turns the heart of God and says, why do you want vengeance? Vengeance is mine. Now what you're doing is you're on the side of the enemy trying to seek vengeance when you should be seeking healing. We're trying so bad to seek vengeance that we don't receive healing. And we can find ourselves working against God because vengeance is his. But we say, no, I'm going to make, I'm going to do this. I'm going to stand and shout and proclaim, you did this terrible thing to me. You're going to pay. Vengeance is for the Lord. Healing is for you to receive. You can never receive healing when vengeance is the, is the, uh, the motive. Don't seek vengeance. Seek healing. Amen. Jesus taught this prayer. He said, pray for your enemies in Matthew 5, verse 44. Matthew 5, verse 44. But I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Now, that could be a very difficult thing to do. When we think about the people that hurt us, our enemies, the last thing you want to do is pray for them. But what I realize in my life is when I begin to pray for my enemies, what it does is it brings healing to my heart. Because the moment I can't pray for them, that just lets me know there's still some unforgiveness there. There's still a little bit of bitterness there. And say, Pastor, it's hard. I know it's hard. I'm not saying that it's easy, and I'm not about to proclaim that it's easy. But I will say it's good for your soul. It is good for your soul. So whenever you think about that person that wronged you or people that are talking bad about you, you pray for them. You pray for your soul, their soul because what happens is God will begin to turn their heart. And the attacks that you feel, guess what? They'll begin to diminish, and God is the one that's fighting your battles when we begin to pray for our enemies. But the moment that we take it in our own hands, guess what? There are never, will never be any resolve there. We have to pray for our enemies. You know, Peter asked Jesus, how many times should I forgive those that, that wronged me? Seven times? He said, no, 70 times seven. That's 490 times. And sometimes it might be even more than that. But Jesus' whole point of it was this, is that no matter how many times someone wrongs you, you forgive them each and every time. And I'm telling you, I'm not, listen to what I'm saying. I know some people try to make everything seem like, oh, it's so easy. Just trust the Lord. He'll make, yes, trust the Lord. But some things are difficult. And you'd have to make a conscious decision to say, you know what, no matter how hard it is, I'm going to do this. If there's anything that you catch from this message today, remember this. Don't hold on to unforgiveness. Don't hold on to it. It's going to destroy you. I'm telling you, let it go. You know, Jesus taught and Jesus demonstrated. When he was on the cross, you know, Jesus could have said, Father, destroy all these heathens. Destroy them, Lord. Destroy all their families for a thousand generations. Did he say that? What did he say? He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. The very people that killed him, that cursed him, that spit on him, that mocked him, that laughed at him, that ridiculed him, he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And everybody's in here right now in their right mind. We've been through some terrible things, but I don't think anybody tried to hang you on a cross. And yet he still 
He, demon, he didn't just talk about it. He didn't just teach it. He demonstrated it. That's what I love about Jesus, the real Jesus. This whole series, the real Jesus, getting back to who Jesus really was. This is who Jesus really was. He demonstrated forgiveness because he knew how hard it was going to be for each and every one of us to do it. So he did the most difficult thing that is to forgive those that tried to kill him. Not tried to, they did kill him. But he forgave them. Peter denied that he knew Jesus three times. And Jesus went up to Peter and said, you know what, Peter? I love you. I forgive you. Three different times. He, he went up to Peter, and he right at the three times that Peter denied him. And I know some people probably would take issue with this and say, I don't know about that, but I believe that Jesus would have forgiven Judas if Judas would have came around and said, Jesus, I repent. I believe he would have forgiven him with open arms and welcomed him back. Like, like nothing ever happened if he would have came to him, but the guilt of, of his decisions weighed on him somewhat that he went out and killed himself. But I believe Jesus, with his heart of compassion, he, he demonstrated that. And I want to close with this story. I know some of you, a lot of you, probably everybody watching online as well, have, have heard of uh, Corrie ten Boom. She was a Dutch woman. Her and her family doing uh, the Holocaust would take Jews and they would hide them in their homes uh, and, and try to protect them. And they did that for years. And one time... They, they got caught, and her and her family, they were brought to a concentration camp in Germany and where she saw horrific things, where the abuse and the violence and, and the, just the mistreatment of Jews and just people in there. And when she was in there, she noticed that there was one guard in particular that was very vicious. He was more cruel and more, more violent than any of the other guards. And her whole family, eventually, they died in the concentration camp. And she was released on a clerical error. So it was just a clerical error that she was able to, to uh, be released from the concentration camp. So for the rest of her life, she just went around the world just preaching the message of forgiveness. Where years later, she finds herself, ironically, back in Germany. And she's in this room in Germany, and she's preaching a message on forgiveness. And she looks out into the audience, and guess who she sees? that violent guard that did all those terrible things that tortured her and her family, that killed her family, she sees the guard in the audience while she's teaching the message on forgiveness. And she said everything inside of her wanted to just get up and run out of the room because everything came back when she could just see the images of the vile things that this guard did. And she said she held her composure together and she finished the message. And right after the message, she just wanted to run out. But the guard walked up to her and he said, I heard you talking about forgiveness. And can the God that you talk about, can he forgive me? But can he use you to forgive as well? And he reached out his hand to her. And she said everything inside of her while he's talking to her is like she wants to just crumble up and die and just weep. But she stuck out her hand and she shook his hand and they began to embrace. And she said, I've never felt the power of God more than I felt in that moment right there when she embraced that man. The worst of the worst, she'd been preaching all across the world on forgiveness, but in a moment she came face to face with her terrible past. She forgave the worst of the worst. What is that? That's forgiveness. There's always different levels and different waves of forgiveness. Just when you think, I've reached forgiveness, there might be something else that comes that we say, I have to forgive again. Bitterness and unforgiveness is not worth holding on to.
Why are relationships so difficult? Because of unforgiveness. We have to forgive. We have to let go of grudges. She totally forgave him. That's the real Jesus. Jesus demonstrated that better than anybody. We have to forgive. We love our neighbors. We serve our brothers and sisters. And we forgive our enemies. Amen. Forgiveness is the crux of Christianity. It's who we are. We have to be forgiven by God in order to be a Christian. So God commands us to forgive those others as well. God, he has forgiven us, and God expects us to forgive others as well. Forgiveness is something that we have to realize that we need. It's something that we realize we need, and it's something that we realize that others need as well. You know, some people, what they need is our forgiveness. They don't need our lectures. They, don't need any, they just need our forgiveness. And I just want to close with that thought today. Do you need forgiveness today? Is there anything that you need God to forgive you of today? Is there anything that you've been holding on to that you feel like, man, this is, I've I've been holding on to this hurt. I've been holding on to this pain. I just want to pray for you. So I'm just going to ask everyone just very reverently, if you're online, watching online as well, I just want you just to join in with us as well. If you've been holding on to something, a past hurt in a relationship, or just something, just life issues. You know, life just happens and things happen. But if there's something in your heart that you feel like, man, I need to release this. I need to let this go. I want to pray for you first. I just want you to lift your hand and I want to pray for you that if you feel like, man, there's things in my heart that I just need to let go. I need to to surrender to the Lord today afresh. I just want you to lift your hands and I want to pray for you. Amen. Lord, I just thank you for each and every person with their hands raised today. I thank you right now that the the sting of bitterness and unforgiveness, that you will remove it right now. I thank you right now that a fresh uh, peace and joy would enter our hearts as we release the offense of the other people that have harmed us and mistreated us in our lives. I thank you right now that the power of the Holy Spirit is coming upon us to receive a fresh healing, Lord. For what we need is healing, and I thank you for it right now that healing is coming to each and every heart today. In Jesus' name, amen. With every head bowed and every eye still closed, I want to give another invitation. And this is for you that you need forgiveness from God. You need forgiveness from your sins. There's a great chasm between you and God. And you feel like, man, if I could just touch God, if I could just be forgiven by God, I could be in a right relationship with him. I want to give an opportunity for you as well to to say that prayer and to come in right relationship with God. And I'm going to just ask everyone just to place their hand over their heart. And I want you to, everyone in the room, you watching online, I want you to repeat this after me. Say, Lord Jesus, I thank you for forgiving me of all of my sin. I thank you that you're coming into my heart and washing me new. I thank you, Lord, that you're making yourself real and that you're showing yourself true to me. I love you, Lord, and I will serve you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on, y'all give the Lord a hand clap of praise this morning. If you're watching online and you prayed that prayer, just drop a comment a comment in the comment section letting us know that you made that decision to follow Christ. And if you're in the room, there's a card in the front of you, in the pew back in front of you. Just fill that out. Drop it in when we make uh, we'll do our offering. So let's just give it up one more time for those that made a decision to follow Christ. Hallelujah. So, man, that was week three of the Real Jesus 
Man, I'm so thankful for my pastor, Pastor Jonathan Stocksteel, that wrote that book, The Real Jesus. All this, this series is coming from the book that he wrote. I encourage you, if you're just tuning in for the first time, go, you can go to Amazon uh, Prime to, to order the book, and you can listen, it, listen to it on Audible. Man, it's a great, great read. You will not be disappointed. But also, thank you for tuning in and joining with us today. Uh, we have prayer Wednesday at 6.30. If you're prepared to give online, you can give on our app. Uh, there's a tab there you can give, or you can go to our website, newlifemobile.org. You can give there as well. But we love you guys. Hope to see you Wednesday, but we'll be right back with you next week at 10 o'clock, 10.30, I'm sorry. Y'all have a great week. Amen. Come on, y'all get